Hello I'm, hello, I'm Tommy Peeler, and this is Carefully Examining the Text. In our last podcast, we dealt with Psalm 22. We tried to examine the wording of that particular psalm. What we want to do in our podcast today is to talk about how Psalm 22 is quoted and alluded to and echoed in the New Testament. What does this tell us about the use of this particular psalm? What can we learn from a study of this particular subject? Some writers would say that Psalm 22 is quoted more frequently in the New Testament than any other psalm. It is dependent upon what we include as a quotation, but the Greek text, the Greek New Testament, the fourth revision, stated that there are four direct quotations of Psalm 22 in the New Testament, and there are 20 allusions or verbal parallels. So obviously, the words of Psalm 22 apply to Jesus. A Bible believer cannot doubt that. But how do they apply? First of all, let's get into a little background. There are no direct references to Psalm 22 before Jesus, before his time, that indicate that this passage was viewed or understood messianically. In the writings of the Qumran community, the group responsible for the Dead Sea Scrolls, they applied some of the words of Psalm 22 to themselves and to their own experiences. But they do not specifically apply them to the Messiah. Again, there's no clear evidence for a messianic interpretation of Psalm 22 in ancient Judaism. So, when New Testament writers apply the language of Psalm 22 to Jesus, that is revolutionary. But, of course, if we believe in the inspiration of the New Testament writers, we believe that that was certainly a correct usage. But how does... How are we to interpret Psalm 22? In its original context, is Psalm 22 exclusively a prophecy about Jesus? Is it a direct prophecy about him that has nothing to do with the life of David? Or does it first find some fulfillment in the experiences of David and have a greater and deeper and richer fulfillment in the life of Jesus Christ. Which of these two is true? Now, some view Psalm 22 as referring directly to Jesus. It has no application to the life of David. In Spurgeon's Treasury of David, he seems to take this view, and he refers to some throughout church history who have. One of the ones that he quotes in defense of this position is Martin Luther. So Luther and Spurgeon apparently took this view. A commentary that I have benefited from greatly is that of Derek Kidner in the Tyndale series. And Kidner seems to refer to the psalm in this way. 
He says, no recorded incident in the life of David can begin to account for this particular psalm. So they would all take these as the the quotations of Psalm 22 in the New Testament as an indication that Psalm 22 only speaks of Jesus and his experiences. But I would tend to believe that Psalm 22 first has reference to David's experience and then a greater and deeper and richer experience in the time of Christ. Why would I say that? Well, one, because in this psalm, I counted the use of the personal pronouns I, me, and my 49 times in the 31 verses of Psalm 22. Do these 49 references to I, me, and my, do they mean something? Is the writer in some way speaking of his own experience? It seems to me strange that he would use such language and not be speaking of his own experiences. But I do believe that the Spirit of God was guiding his words carefully. And the words that he uses and the words that he chooses in speaking of his own experience prophesy, foreshadow, and speak of a Messiah, a descendant of David, who would fulfill these words in a greater way and in a richer way. I think Psalm 22 is powerful, but I would also compare it with the use of a couple of other Psalms in the New Testament. On the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the only statement from the cross recorded in Matthew and Mark. But also on the cross, Jesus quotes two other Psalms. He quotes, Father, into your hand, I commit my spirit from Psalm 31 verse 5. He quotes this in Luke 24, or excuse me, Luke 23, verse 46. Another statement Jesus makes on the cross is, I thirst. The Bible says he says this in order to fulfill the scripture in John 19, verse 28. Most believe that that's a reference to Psalm 69, verses 20 and 21. Psalm 69, though, is obviously quoted several times in the New Testament and applied to the experiences of the cross. Now, no one has a problem understanding that Psalm 69 was first speaking of the writer's experience, but then had a deeper fulfillment in the time of Jesus. You know why none, no one has a problem with this? Because in Psalm 69, verses 4 and 5, the writer, while he professes his innocence, in verse 4, he professes his innocence. He says in verse 5 of Psalm 69, O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Does Psalm 69, 5 sound like something Jesus would say? 
Jesus, who was tempted in all points like we are, yet he without sin, Hebrews 4.15, he wouldn't say such words. Jesus was completely innocent, and almost every New Testament writer affirms that. He affirms the innocence of Jesus. My point, because the writer of Psalm 69 confesses sin in verse 5, we can understand that this verse spoke of David's experiences and then had a greater fulfillment in Christ. In Psalm 31, we have the same thing. In verse 10, the writer acknowledges his transgressions and his transgressions, his wrongs, and yet his transgressions and his wrongs, um, which he speaks of, would not be true of Jesus. But Jesus quoted that psalm from the cross. I think it makes good sense that Psalm 22 was used in a way like Psalm 31 was, like Psalm 69 was. And I think that it really, and this is a subjective thing, but to me it adds meaning to this psalm. That when Jesus was on the cross, he quotes three of the most passionate and pain-filled of the psalms, and he makes them his own. When Jesus came to live among man and to be among man, he truly enters into our suffering and pain in a way that is difficult for us to even grasp or appreciate. Jesus quotes these pain-filled psalms and lives them out and experiences them in his suffering. This Christ, this suffering Christ, is one that we can identify with and we can turn to in difficulties. But let's talk about some of the specific uses of Psalm 22 in the New Testament. In Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we stated earlier, this is the only statement on the cross that is recorded in Matthew in 27:46 and in Mark in 15:34. What does it mean, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did God literally forsake Christ on the cross or did he not? I want to acknowledge to you that I don't know all the answers to those questions. And understanding that Christ is unique in human experience, that Christ was both man and God, it is difficult for me to understand all that is going on in his death. And so I hesitate to make a dramatic statement. But I would say this, that some would look at Psalm 22. And as we talked about in our last podcast, Psalm 22 ends on a note of praise, on a note of hope, on a note of optimism in verses 22 through 31. It ends on a positive note. And some 
have taken this, the quote of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, as being a reference to all of Psalm 22 and ultimately prophesying of his resurrection. And in a certain sense, I want you to understand that I don't have any kind of problem with that or difficulty with that. But I would also suggest this, that there is no example of someone quoting the words of a psalm where the words that he quoted are to be ignored in favor of the meaning of the psalm as a whole. That is not to suggest we shouldn't take all the meaning of Psalm 22. It is simply to say that we must not ignore the portion of this psalm that he actually quoted. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can I enter into the depth of that or understand all the riches of that? No. But Jesus, Jesus poured out those words on the cross. And I would say that the experiences that the psalmist received in Psalm 22, 7 and 8 were relived by Christ on the cross. He said in verse 7, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. Those words were basically stated by people around the cross. The bystanders mock him in Matthew 27 in verse 39, wagging their head. They are wagging their head. They are unwittingly fulfilling these passages. Also, if you look at Mark 15, 29, and its wording, and Luke 23, verses 34 and 35, you will see the same kind of thing. His enemies, not realizing that they are fulfilling Scripture, demonstrate their incredible spiritual blindness. Verse 18 of John, uh, of Psalm, uh, verse 18 of Psalm 22. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is quoted in John 19, verses 23 and 24, and it is applied to the cross. The soldiers, when they crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts a part for every soldier, also the tunic. Now in the tunic, now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. They fulfill the words of scripture in how they treat the garments of Jesus. They are gambling over his clothing. Verse 22 of Psalm 22 talks about declaring his name 
in the midst of the brethren. That is quoted in Hebrews chapter 12 and Hebrews 2 and verse 12. Hebrews 2 and verse 12. That verse quotes from Psalm 22, 22, and it demonstrates how Jesus fulfills the picture of that particular psalm. And how all these brethren, in the, in the midst of them, Jesus is praising God. Now, I didn't quote Psalm 22, verse 16. They pierced my hands and my feet. Um, that is not quoted specifically in the New Testament. That wording from Psalm twenty-two, sixteen, they pierced my hands and my feet, is not based on the Hebrew text of Psalm 22, which seems to say like a lion. It is based on the translation of the Greek, the Septuagint. Derek Kidner, in his commentary, I think does a good job of defending the possibilities of that particular translation. But but there are elements of Psalm 22 that David doesn't completely experience. Maybe he fulfills them metaphorically or figuratively. And maybe Jesus fulfills them in a deeper, and in some cases, a more literal way. It may be true of verse 16, and it certainly is true of verses 27 through 31. In Psalm 22, verse 22, as the writer begins to declare God's name to the brethren and praise him, this will ultimately have worldwide repercussions. Verses 27 through 31 are going to state 27 through 31, that ultimately all nations would come to praise him, that the rich and the poor would be among his kingdom, and those who die will be among his people. The Lord's vindication of his servant being declared among the nations, this sounds like the resurrection of Jesus being proclaimed among the nations. And this seems to recount the preaching of God's truth and God's word revealed um, in the truth about the resurrection of Jesus. This cry which began with a, this, this psalm, Psalm 22, which begins with a cry, My God, my God, why, has for, why have you forsaken me? Ends with a cry, He has done it. That sounds a lot like Jesus crying from the cross, It is finished. I want to tell you, there's not enough time in the time that we are choosing to use for this podcast to cover this fully. We have just touched the hem of the garment. But I want you to see that the Old Testament talks of Christ, of His suffering, of His resurrection. I want you to see that Jesus came into our world 
and truly entered into our pain and was victorious over death by his resurrection. He deserves all glory. He deserves all praise. May God continue to bless you and keep you.